Blog Talk Radio. Oh, mama, I'm in fear for my life from the long arm of the law. Got miles to go before we sleep. Lawman is putting into my running, and I'm so far from my. We will not go gently. Uh, we're going to unleash hell here in December. Oh, mama, I can hear you crying. You're so scared. Jeff Hartman here, editor of BehindTheSteelCurtain.com, and with me, as always, my friend on the West Coast, Lance Williams. How's it going, Lance? I am doing lovely. What's up with your big fella? Not much. Did you have a good Halloween? Yes, I did, man. Unfortunately for us out on the West Coast, it it rained, so, uh, you know, we were drenched while we were trick-or-treating, so... Made for it, a very interesting experience. I have to ask, what's your favorite Halloween snack? My favorite Halloween snack? So I really don't like chewy candy, a la Starburst or licorice or stuff like that. So I'm going to keep it old school. Uh, I'm going to cite a a Pittsburgh favorite, the uh, Fifth Avenue. People in Pittsburgh know what the Fifth Avenue is, and... I like the Zagnut, Snickers, Twix, and another old-school Philadelphia slash Pittsburgh favorite, Chewettes. Chewettes are actually my favorite candy. <laughs> well, you just went down. If you're a chocolate guy, that's fine. I can dig that. I, I, I like all kinds of candy. I'm a Skittles guy. I like the M&Ms and all that stuff, but I'm Snickers. I'm Snickers all the way for me. But, um... I have to ask you, Lance, obviously the Steelers didn't play last week. Uh, what did you do on the bye week? Do you, do you watch football? Do you kind of get away from it? What did you do? Unfortunately, I probably watched more football during the bye week than I have this entire season. Trust me, I watched five Ravens games, and trust me, I might be in an insane asylum after doing it. <laughs> well, I'll be honest with you. I told myself, I'm going on a bye week myself. I, I said I'm not going to do it. I didn't watch a minute of football in week eight. I saw highlights. I saw it up on, on scores and stuff, but I did not sit down. I had a lot of work to do. Got four little kids running around the house. I was like, you know what, I'm taking a week off. So I took a week off. We're back at it. Uh, the standard is the standard here, as, as always, sponsored by as Behind the Steel Curtain flagship podcast here. So let's talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers, there's a lot to talk about. Lance, do you feel the need to talk about Week 7? Now, we didn't talk about that because the last time we were on the air, we were previewing that game of Landry Jones against the Patriots. I'll give you a second, if you want, to talk about that game. If not, let's move on. 
Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I want to just point out the number 47. I think 47 is the correct number, but it might be 42. Uh, either way, that's the number of pass attempts that Lance Jones had in the game against the New England Patriots. Now, we talked about this offense and what the offense looks like, and we talked about how the offense right now is overly dependent on Ben Roethlisberger, even though the offense has NFL elite weapons to support him and support the entire team. And I think that point was proven with letting Landry Jones throw the ball over 40 times. I just want to say that again, listeners. Landry Jones threw the ball over 40 times in a football game. Okay, now I want you to go outside. You're going to see that lucky pot of gold from the leprechaun. Then the unicorn is going to run down the street, and all of a sudden you're going to have the winning Super Lotto tickets as well. That's something that should never, ever, 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 ever happen again. Well, I agree with you. I really do. I think anything over 40 is too much for a guy like Landry Jones. However, I know you. I know it's easy to say this, and it's not real. It's not realistic. But you take away that first quarter interception, and it was compounded by the fact that it was a red zone pick. Um, he didn't play a bad game. Uh, I think everyone probably thought that he was he's going to turn the ball over at least once, which he did. It was in a bad spot, but I, I didn't think that the stage looked too big for him. Um, he did miss some throws. I'm not going to say that he didn't. I thought that was a step in the right direction for Landry Jones. In other words, if he has to play this Sunday, I'm a little bit more confident in this game with him under center even than, say, uh, if he hadn't played as well as he did in week seven. Does that make sense? I would agree with that. I mean, I don't think you know, I don't think he played a bad game either. I think what you see with the difference between him and Ben Roethlisberger is obviously – uh, being able to read the field as well as executing in the red zone. For, for the number yeah. of red zone trips they had in the game, they just were inefficient. You think if Ben Roethlisberger is in that game, he gets something done with those red zone opportunities, and they have a really good chance to win that game. But I don't want to put that out there, that they win that game with Ben Roethlisberger because, look, the Patriots were getting anything that they wanted, and it almost seemed like they took their foot off the pedal once they got up because they could run the ball pretty easily, and there wasn't any need to take any chances. So I, well, I don't want to well, let's feel fooled by that, by, by, by how it kind of looked in the second half. Let's be a little bit more specific. If they have Ben Roethlisberger and Cam Hayward, they win that game. When Cam Hayward's on the football field, that run defense has a completely different look to it, and I don't think LeGarrette Blunt would have had gaping holes he could drive a semi through like he did on uh, Sunday. So, uh, but let's move on. And this is going to be a perfect segue into talking about the upcoming game against the Baltimore Ravens, Week 9, M&T Bank Stadium. The last quarterback to beat the Ravens in Baltimore was Charlie Batch. You guessed it. So Charlie gonna Batch, quarterback my the, man. Charlie exactly. Batch. But who's going to quarterback the team on Sunday is what everyone's asking. Your gut instinct. Now, Roethlisberger, if you haven't seen today, Lance, he was limited. That's very predictable. Um, do you think, by your gut, that Roethlisberger plays, 
And if he doesn't, does it change your overall outlook of the game? When you say limited, does that mean he he participated in maybe 25% of the took maybe 25% of the snaps? Is that mental reps? I've never quite understood what limited or, or how that was defined. Well, limited just means that he did some work but not all the work. So limited for this case from all the reports that were released out of today's practice was that he took first-team reps or some first-team reps in their live, probably seven-on-seven looks, and then when they would have gone into other different things, maybe goal line, he might have not have been in there for that. So because he wasn't participating in all aspects of practice, he's only listed as a limited participant and not a full participant. Oh, he's playing Sunday. That's what that means. He's playing. He's fulfilled the requirement of practicing, although it was limited. He's playing Sunday. Yeah, I don't think it's a gimme, though. I really – I don't think it's a gimme because it it, it all depends. With his knee, this injury that that he suffered with his torn meniscus, if it flares up and he wakes up tomorrow and there's a ton of swelling and all of a sudden he's got new issues, it could go south. I'm saying that if that doesn't happen, I think he's going to play as well. But if that does happen, he could all of a sudden find himself missing practice and then missing the game on Sunday. I wouldn't be surprised if he is limited to, limited today, obviously, limited Thursday, maybe a full participant Friday, maybe limited on Friday again. He'll be questionable going into the game on Sunday, and he'll be a game-time decision, in which case, in very classic Ben Roethlisberger fashion, he'll come running out of the locker room seemingly on, like, a white steed <laughs> with a flaming sword, and everyone will just rejoice, you know? Yes, yes, yes. It could look like the Cleveland game last year where Landry Jones yeah. started, and he came off the bench after Landry Jones took a shot, something like that. It could look like that as well. But either way, he's getting a yeah. hat on Sunday. Um, yeah. And, you know, that's a good thing. I mean, they, they've got to get this ugly taste out of their mouth of these losses uh, back to back. Good thing for the Steelers and Steeler Nation that it's looking like the AFC North instead of the AFC South is the worst division in football. So, uh, uh, I'm not, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's, well, let's just say this. Both divisions are struggling. And, yeah. uh, you know, they're losing a lot of football games. When it's, when has the division won? And I think it was three weeks ago the last time that any team in the division won a game because you got a tie with Cincinnati. They lost to the Patriots. Yep. The Steelers have lost the last two. Cleveland hasn't won a game. And uh, so the division is struggling. So, you know, they haven't won a game in two weeks. So uh, the Steelers are fortunate. And, you know, and that's part of this whole mix is sometimes you have to get lucky to compete for a championship. And, you know, nobody apologizes for it because the Steelers have had years where, you know, three teams have made it to the playoffs. So, you know, you, you relish these opportunities to have a weak division and you just get right and you still get to the playoffs. Because at the end of the day, does anyone care that the Steelers won a Super Bowl as a sixth seed? No. Super Bowl still counts. So just get there yep. and do your thing. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, but this game is big. I wouldn't call it a must-win game. It's a big game. Uh, The Baltimore Ravens are the least of the threats. If you're looking at the three teams that have actually won a football game in the division, um, the three teams, it's going to be, in my opinion, Pittsburgh and Cincinnati. Uh, Cincinnati's schedule softens a lot. 
down the stretch. Pittsburgh is, is rather soft as well, uh, but Baltimore is ramped up uh, here down the stretch. Uh, they still have to play Philadelphia. They still have to play New England, I believe. Um, they have some tough games coming up, even though they have a lot of those at home. Uh, it doesn't look very good for a team that's lost four games in a row. Um, but I guess if, if you're thinking about the Steelers, and this is a good question for you, Lance, I think, that everyone's talking about, okay, they lost to New England. New England's schedule is pretty pretty soft down the stretch as well. If they're not good, let, let's say they don't lose again. They only lost one game. They have the first seed, their home field advantage throughout, and they're going to have a bye. What record do you think it will take to get the number two seed in the AFC? Uh, I'm going to say 12 or 4. Really? I think okay. 12 or 4 because I, I think that the Raiders and or Denver will lose at least two more games. I mean, they play each other twice, play on Sunday. You know, I think you know Denver's probably favored in that game. So I, I think it's probably going to take 12 and 4, maybe even 13 and 3 to get the two seed. I don't think you're going to get a two seed on 11 and 5. But, you know, the AFC is not the strongest conference, in my opinion, this year, but I don't think you'll get a 2C at 11 and 5. So I would say 12 Well, you could. It just might have to be with tiebreakers. Yeah, but I, you know I, I mean? think there's going to be another team emerge. Now, I think Denver is going to not lose five games. Uh, you, know, I, I, you, know, you know, if I were to – if you were to ask me today, I, I think Denver gets a two seed. Okay. It'll be interesting, that's for sure, but the Pittsburgh Steelers have to take it one game at a time. We all know who's on the dock. I think this is a great game for Pittsburgh. Uh, everyone was down on them with their loss in Miami, although that loss doesn't seem so crazy now that they've won back-to-back games and their running back is running over everyone. Um, but nonetheless, they've lost back-to-back games, and they're playing a Ravens team that is down. They're coming off a bye week as well, but they've lost four games. But the Steelers, well, let's be honest, the Ravens have their number. I mean, I don't care if you want to chalk it up to Josh Scobie missing two field goals in last year in Pittsburgh uh, with Michael Vick at quarterback. I don't I don't care if you're going to talk about, you know, the, the dud that they laid against Ryan Mallett at M&T Bank Stadium. The Ravens simply have the Steelers' number. And don't think that if I'm, or I should say, if I'm Mike Tomlin, I am banging that drum all week about how, look at these guys, they own us. It's up to us. They should be up for this game. And then they might even get to be able to pick up some momentum, not looking too far ahead, but the fact that the Dallas Cowboys, one of the the NFL's quote-unquote elite teams, coming to Hinesfield in Week 10, do you think that the Ravens, even though they're 3-4 and coming off four straight losses, are going to get their attention Oh, they better get their attention. I mean, the Steelers are going to be their, their antennas are going to be up. Not not only because it's the Ravens, but because they've lost two games in a row, and their last loss was at home. And they and they had to think about that and stew about that for the last two weeks. And they got manhandled on defense up front, you know, to the tune of almost you know 350 yards rushing. So if your antenna isn't up after getting mollywhopped the last two weeks. Uh, then this team is dead and it's flatlined. So, you know, combined with the way they've lost and with the Ravens coming in uh, or, or them playing the Ravens going to NNT Bank, I mean, they're going to get the Ravens. They're going to be fired up. It's not If they lose the game, it's not because they were emotionally not up for the game. 
emotionally they'll yeah. be in it and they realize it and they realize this is a division game as well. It gives them an opportunity to get some space in the division. Because um, you got two teams under five, all the teams are under 500, and you can create some room and get yourself healthy to start really taking that step to get to the playoffs. So they're going to get the Steelers. In terms of attention, this is, you know, A-level attention for, for the Steelers in this game. They definitely have it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Now, we're going to get to the keys to victory, and you always do the defense, but I have a very general question for you, and it's what the hell is going on with the Steelers' defense? Can you please just try to, for me, for listeners out there, what is going on? What is the systematic? What is the personnel? What are the main issues? And don't give me the general, well, they're giving up too many yards rushing. I know that. What do you think (laughs) is wrong with the Steelers' defense, and what do you think might be able to fix it. For instance, the fact they're not getting turnovers. They did against the New England Patriots on two fumbles, one with special teams, mind you. But still, they're not creating interceptions. They're not sacking the quarterback. They're the worst in the NFL in that category. What ails this defense, and what is the fix? I think you said it. I mean, you alluded to it earlier in the show. It's a a personnel thing. Because when they're healthy and the personnel is there, you see that the defense can play like last year, you know, limit teams to other 20 points a game and get 49 sacks. The problem is they've been, they haven't been healthy. Both Hayward and Shazier have been out. And given the other level of personnel and Dupree, all those guys have not played one snap together this year. And when you look at the defense as a whole and you look at the personnel and the talent on the defense, if you take those three guys out, you know, it's a clawless tiger. You know, it, it it can just roar and make noise, but it has no bite or no fight. It's, the personnel just isn't there, and that's not going to get fixed overnight. You're not going to fix that with scheme. You just have to have people be healthy. And also with that, they have to tackle better, and they have to make the plays that do come to them. An example of it is, you know, Will Gay dropping an interception against Miami. You have to make that play. Because when you have the level of talent and personnel that's out there right now and you have that opportunity, you have to make that play. But the biggest thing, and I, and I just alluded to it, the biggest thing I think that ails in this defense is tackling. I mean, it is not a very good tackling defense. And a lot of times when you watch them on film, they may be in position, but Guys are breaking tackles. You know, I challenge all the listeners of the show, go back to that Miami game and turn it on. Watch how many tackles that the kid from Miami, Ajay, breaks. And I believe he had 142 yards after contact. That's just bad tackling. So if they can clean up the tackling, get healthy, I think you'll see this unit play better. The other thing that's playing this unit is, they don't have anybody to get after the quarterback. And I'm going to illustrate a couple of numbers as we break down the game. But when you don't have that type of guy that can create one-on-one mismatches for other guys, you know, it becomes very difficult for your defense to be effective. So if you're not tackling and your top personnel is out and you're not getting pressure, guess what you're going to get? you're going to get a foot up your 
you know what, and that's what they've been getting the last couple of weeks on defense. Yeah, no, I agree. So let's. This is a good time to just let's get right into the keys. Go ahead, focus on the defense. What are the keys to victory for the Pittsburgh Steelers defense as they approach the Baltimore Ravens Sunday? Let me jump into my rhymes. And if you listen to the show, I always give you guys a rhyme to break down the show. And the rhyme is simply this. If they want to stop the losing streak, to run and compete with five in the box to stop the streak. So they've got to be able to stop the run with seven in the box. And the reason they have to do that is because when you look at the Ravens, their primary vertical threat is Mike Wallace. Mike Wallace, formerly of the Pittsburgh Steelers. When you look at this Ravens team, it is very, it's a very pedestrian team offensively. They're only averaging about 19 points a game. They only have five touchdown passes as a team. So it's an offense that you can handle if you do not give up the big play over the top. But when you look at, I mean, there are some troubling numbers, and I usually break it down in terms of pass rush, uh, rushing defense, and just the overall schematics of it all. And there are some troubling numbers when you look at, and I want to focus on rushing, because we talked about that before we got into the breakdown. There's some bad numbers that show up when you look at this run defense. Right now, the run defense is giving up 4.7 yards per carry. That's 27 in the National Football League. That's almost five yards a carry. That's Jim Brown territory right there. So that's how bad they are in terms of rush defense. Another number that sticks out to me when you look at this Steeler defense, in the last two games, one yard per carry, they've given up 331 yards on 47 attempts. That's an average of almost 165 yards per game. So you know what they're going to see on Sunday. They're going to see a steady diet of Terrence West and a zone-blocking run scheme and some combinations, a little bit of power that the Ravens are going to give them. So they're going to get some of that. Terrence West is not a dynamic back. He's a one-cut runner. Uh, not the greatest back, but given their run defense, he's going to get. They're going to get a steady diet of that because they haven't shown that they can stop the run in the past two weeks. So one of the keys is they just got to handle the run, make tackles, be solid in their run fits, and that backside guy that's running the line of scrimmage when a running back in the zone scheme makes that one cut and hits it on the backside, that guy has to be there and that guy has to tackle. But as bad as the rushing defensive numbers look, even more troubling is the lack of pressure. They only have eight sacks, which is last in the National Football League. They're on average to get 18.3 sacks for the season. I don't know if that's a historic team low, but it has to be close to it over a 16-game schedule. Also, 
they haven't recorded a sack in the last two games. The one thing that Baltimore does pretty well is pass protect. They've only given up 15 sacks on a year, which ranks 12th in the National Football League. So it's going to be very difficult, in my opinion, for the Steelers to get pressure. If there is a weak link, it's Alex Lewis. But they're going to have to kind of collapse the pocket, make Flacco feel uncomfortable, because the one thing you can see on film is Flacco does not look completely comfortable in the pocket coming off of that knee surgery. The last thing is in the passing game. There's only two weapons that they have. They dominate the football. They dominate the target. They dominate the yards. And that's Mike Wallace and Dennis Pitta. And speaking of Dennis Pitta, we were talking offline earlier today. He's not running the same. He's not the same threat that the Dennis Pitta we remember in the past that really gave the Steelers problems. I think Crockett Gilmore is probably a bigger issue for the Steelers than Dennis Pitta. But when you look at Wallace and Pitta and you combine them, they represent percent of the Ravens' targets and 38% of their receptions. So if you look at both of those guys, if you can really contain those guys, that will go a long way in the Steelers securing the victory. It's going to be interesting to see if they decide to follow Wallace with Cockrell. But the reason why you have to stop the run with seven is you do not want Cockrell challenging Gay. Uh, excuse me. You don't want Wallace challenging Cockrell or Gay vertically without safety help over top. And so if they can stop the run, they can dedicate an additional safety in a deep half to try to eliminate the deep threat and the deep ball for the Baltimore Ravens because one thing Flacco and the Ravens will do is they are going to take several deep shots in the game. So I think from an offensive standpoint, I think if the Steelers can just tackle, really tackle the run game and really handle it with seven, this could be a get-right game for this offense, or excuse me, for this defense, and I expect the Steelers defense to play much better than they have in the last two weeks. Yeah, the question that I have, and it's something that you touched on, was the secondary. And before the bye week, Carnell Lake, who's a secondary coach, said that they were moving Sean Davis, rookie Sean Davis, back to the slot. They had taken him out of that position. They had been moving William Gay into the slot, and Artie Burns playing on the outside. It looked to me like they were kind of saying, okay, we need to tackle better. William Gay is a better tackler. Um, well, I think anyone's a better tackler than Artie Burns at this stage in his career. Um, but now, Steelers.com released a quote that Artie Burns is saying he's practiced more with the ones this week than he has his entire season. Um, that's to combat the big receivers from the Ravens. Are you happy with Artie Burns' progression, or are you kind of disappointed with where he is right now at this point in the season? I mean, I, I have very little expectations for rookies. So, I mean, he's just, you know, he's just a struggling first-year player. I think he's played past pretty well, but he definitely has to be more physical. And, and, and from a schematic standpoint, listeners, when you play as much zone as the Steelers, it, it's very cornerbacks involve themselves in the run game. I mean, they help. You know, if your front seven is securing the edge, you may need your cornerbacks to assist your outside backers in securing tackles on the edge in the running game. They have their eyes on the football, so because of that, they have to get off blocks and they have to make tackles. It's not 
like if you're playing man and they have their back to the line of scrimmage and they're running away from the line of scrimmage, they don't have a responsibility as much in man schemes to make tackles. But if you're a cornerback and you're playing in a zone scheme, you have to tackle and you have to be physical. And I'm sure that was brought up several times and numerous times in film sessions over the course of these past two weeks. Absolutely. So I'll tell you what, I live in Maryland. Yes, I have to watch the Ravens more than I'd like to. And this is an offense that it's, it's sad to see because at one point they matched up so well against Pittsburgh's defense, every now and then it turns into a good old heave and pray by Joe Flacco where it's like they just throw a deep open for a pass interference call. Sometimes they get it. And with Mike Wallace, that's a definite factor for the Steelers to have to uh, – and that's going to be some added incentive on Mike Wallace's part, you know, playing against his old team. I think it's only the second time he's done that in a regular season game. Should be interesting. Well, let me go over to the offensive side of the football, and I'll talk about the keys to victory on offense. I'm going to kind of give you two sets of keys because I think it depends on who's the quarterback. Let's say it's Landry Jones. You talked about the attempts at the beginning of the show. If Landry Jones is a quarterback, they have to keep his attempts under 35. Um, and that's not – because you don't trust Landry Jones. Well, actually, I changed it. It is because you don't trust Landry Jones. It's because you want the ball in Le'Veon Bell's hands. And to be honest with you, if Ben Roethlisberger is the quarterback, I don't want him throwing the ball more than 35 times either because Le'Veon Bell is the answer to the question. You want to keep Ben healthy. You want to keep Landry Jones corralled in and not turning the football over and give the ball to your best offensive player, arguably, in Le'Veon Bell. And let him do his job. Now, here's the scary thing. The, the Ravens' defense, their front is very good at stopping the run. They're also a very sound defensive front. They're not gonna, it's not going to come easy running the football. So you're going to have to throw. You're going to have to be smart throwing. And you're going to have to make sure you get those high-percentage throws. For those, you saw it against New England. I thought that the game plan for Landry Jones was very, very good. I thought that... Uh, Todd Haley did a masterful job of putting Landry Jones in positions to succeed. He did that more than he didn't. Um, and it's kind of what they need to do again. So, again, 35 attempts is the number I'm looking for. I, want, I don't want them to go over. Le'Veon Bell, the more touches, the better. You need Antonio Brown involved, but I think you also need to try to stretch the field early. Uh, the Ravens are secondary. Test them early and often. You know, Jimmy Smith is probably going to shadow Antonio Brown. That's a very familiar matchup for both of those players. Antonio Brown's gotten the best of him on more than one occasion. I don't think they should just shy away from that matchup. But ultimately, I'd like to see the tight ends utilized in this game. Look for Jesse James. I think for some reason the, the, the Ravens at times defensively can overthink themselves. You saw Heath Miller back in the last year and years before. He would have monster games against the Ravens because you get to the point where you can't cover everyone. And so for me, I think that Jesse James could be an X factor in this game uh, for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And lastly, you just can't turn the football over. Uh, The Pittsburgh Steelers are a team that's obviously not going to create a lot of turnovers on the defensive side. So in other words, you can't give the ball away uh, on offense. That's fumbles, that's interceptions. And I would go a step further and say that's missed field goals, things of that nature. The Steelers need to play a clean brand of football. And let me throw on one more, and that's limit the stupid penalties. The penalties on this team have been really, really bad. And the holdings and stuff, those are all judgment calls. I'm talking about the pre-snap penalties, the illegal formations, the false starts. 
those are the ones, those are the penalties that put you back, that put your offense out of rhythm, that all of a sudden change the entire dynamic of a drive. Play a clean brand of football. Limit your uh, quarterbacks to under 35 touches. Get Le'Veon Bell as many touches as you can, and you are going to have to throw the ball to open things up. I would go deep and look for Jesse James. What do you think about that, Lance? I think, what, you know, when you look at the Ravens, you know, what I think is that I don't think you have to rush in this game. You know, they're, they're not an offense where you feel like you need to score a touchdown on every possession, as if you were playing Atlanta or the, or, or, or the Patriots. It's a, it's a very pedestrian offense. If you can keep things in front of you, you can be patient with the run game. You know, I want the running game to get close to 30 attempts, and that's a combination of, both D'Angelo and Le'Veon Bell. What they have to do and what we haven't seen, and when you watch the All-22 and you watch that offense, teams have been getting away with being able to play two high safeties and play bracket coverage consistently on Antonio Brown. And if that's the case, the Steelers have to be able to punish those teams in the run game. I mean, you should not be able to get away with playing seven in the box consistently against them. So, I mean, I think what you're going to see from the Ravens, they're going to commit to, because right now, uh, Jimmy Smith has been a candy bar this year. Uh, he's been a sweet treat for Beckham, Garcon, and others. He's been that nice little sweet treat for, uh, for, for quite a few teams. And, you know, they're going to do the same thing. They're going to dedicate two high safeties are going to have two guys on Antonio, and they're going to dare the Steelers to beat them in a running game. And I hope the Steelers are up for the challenge. Jernigan and those guys are going to be tough, and Williams in there, but I'd like them to stay committed to the run. If they can get that safety out of the box, then then it's off to the races um, against the Ravens. I also like the matchup. I can't recall the last name of the guy, but his number is 50. Number 50, the linebacker, the inside linebacker for the Ravens. I love that matchup if they can get him isolated against a wide receiver or against Le'Veon Bell. But, you know, but the Steelers have to stay patient with the running game. If they do, I think they can win this game. Yeah, you look at things and you say that they can be patient, which I agree with, and that the Ravens are not a team you have to feel like you have to match point for point. But at the same time, I look at this game and say if the Steelers can go out and they can score two quick touchdowns and get three and out their stalled drives from the Ravens, that's going to totally change the Ravens' approach. Now the Steelers can kind of do what they want. The defense knows what to expect. Flacco then becomes a sitting duck because he's not as mobile. He doesn't trust his leg. So I see both sides of it. I see what you're saying in terms of being patient, but I also see the fact that the Steelers can really dictate this game. They have a, the better, the superior offense. Um, even with Landry Jones, I think they have the better offense. And ultimately, it's their game to win. So um, let's go predictions. Let's go picks. If you got in this game, what's your score? I'm going to give you two scores. I'm going to give you a Ben score, and I'm going to give you a Landry Jones score. Uh, if Ben plays, I think they beat the Ravens 27-17. If Landry okay. Jones plays, I think they beat the Ravens 21-17. Okay, I see that. I actually think I'm going to give you just a Ben, a Ben prediction, because I think he's going to play. I think he's going to play well. 
the one thing I can't stand, and maybe you can chime in on this, Lance, and um, I'll give you a chance to do so after giving my prediction. Because everyone always talks about, well, Ben's just not that good when he comes off of an injury. Well, he's always going to have that week. That's like a, I'm a school teacher. Students always say, well, we don't do anything the last week of school anyways. We should get out a week earlier. Well, guess what the week earlier is going to be? The last week of school, and you're not going to want to do anything. It doesn't matter. It's just the same thing just another time. So I don't get that sentiment because unless you're saying he's always going to suck coming off an injury, what's the mad, What's the difference if he sucks in week nine or if he sucks in week ten? Um, I don't get that sentiment. I think Robertsford is going to play. I think he's going to play well. I think the offensive game plan, hopefully it's more like the one they drew up for Landry Jones. Landry Jones' game plan was not built around him. It was built around Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown. If they do that for Ben, it could be success. I can see this game being a Kansas City-esque game where the Steelers come out and just really stick it to them, and then in the second half, maybe the Ravens get a couple late scores. I'm going to go with, uh, we'll say, 33-17. to 33-17 will give you an odd score there in case they get a two-point conversion. Um, yeah. Does that make sense what I said about the whole Roethlisberger not playing well off the bye week? You know, I don't really buy into that type stuff. You know, all the situations are different. I don't think they're necessarily connected. Those are just those sports, silly stuff that people say all the time. It's just a game-by-game thing. I don't think one has anything to do with the other. It, it, it's not like he's coming yeah. out, oh, I'm I injured. I don't play well the next day. I mean, hey, just go out and you just play. I mean, there's so much happens in a football game. I mean, they're not tied together. So, you know, I think right. it's ridiculous to think that that – is a truism or means anything. No, I agree, hundred uh, percent. I have one last thing before I give you the um, before I give you the soapbox and let you talk to Steel Nation at the end of the show. I know you're a Twitter guy, and I know you follow mine and Steel Curtain's Twitter feed on Twitter. Uh, I did a poll the other day. I was bored. I was just throwing it out there. I did. What was the hardest hit? in Steelers-Ravens history. Now, I wanted to make it fair. I was trying to get the Baltimore beatdown of Destiny Nation's Ravens site involved. And so I chose two hits that were Steelers hitting the Ravens and two hits that were Ravens hitting Steelers. And they didn't really want to participate too much. But uh, here were the four that I've, I've had. And I want to know what you thought was the hardest hit in this rivalry. And maybe it's one that I didn't list. Um, Heinz, Ward, Heinz Ward's hit on Ed Reed. Uh, Bart Scott's hit on Ben Roethlisberger, Ryan Clark's hit uh-huh. on Willis McGahee, or Ray Lewis's yep. hit on, on Rashard Mendenhall when he broke his shoulder. So out of those four, is there one that you think is the hardest hit, or is there one that I left off? There were a couple of uh, suggestions on Twitter that were really good, but I want to get your take, though. I like the uh, the, the Clark hit on Willis McGahee. Uh, because I think they both were in the hospital after the hit. I think, if I'm not mistaken, uh, that's my favorite. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, the other hit is if the Bart Scott hit on Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, I, I thought Ben was dead, man. <laughs> that hit was like, goodness gracious. Like, he hit him so hard, you know, I, you know, I wouldn't have talked to my offensive line for several days. I just like man, I look man, I can't talk. I can't talk to y'all, man. I'm, I'm, I'm a little upset, man. Y'all let me get hit that hard. <laughs> I mean, I want to put that well, a little personal. You're, you're right, but the funny thing is, is we had almost 700 people vote on this. 
and the winning hit was Heinz Ward on Ed Reed. And I think it's because it's Heinz Ward. I think it's because it's Ed Reed. There was a lot. That was that famous Monday Night Football game where the Steelers were up 35 yes. nothing at halftime. They were just slaughtering that team. Now, a couple of people brought up some other hits that were really good. I agree with you, though. I like the Ryan Clark hit because I thought Wilson McGay, he was dead. And I'm not saying that to be funny. I actually said to everyone that was sitting in the, in the room watching the game, I think he's dead. Like, I thought that was the first time in my life that I saw a human being die on the football field. But he didn't. He was fine. He was concussed. But still, people brought up James Harrison hitting Ed Reed on the punt return. That was a good one. Um, here's one that I totally forgot about, and that was Linus Swede's crackback block on Corey Ivey. Do you remember that? On, uh, yes, I do. The playoffs. Yes, I do. That was a big yes, hit. Yes, I do. That was the only good thing, only good thing Linus Swede ever did in the NFL. But he cleaned that guy's clock. I can't remember the fullback's name, um, but there was a fullback uh, who had dread that destroyed uh, a Raven guy on a special teams play as well. Uh, Do the show, listeners. Uh, it looks like the Cubs. I'm not going to be a spoiler. Uh, I'm not going to be a spoiler. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, man, the, the thing that made that Ryan Clark get even better is what he said afterwards. He said, they asked him, uh, you know, did you check on him or did you call him afterwards? And he said something to the effect, no, because if he had knocked me out, he wouldn't have called me either. <laughs> I was like, wow. I was like, wow. And just, the, and just when that hit happened, I mean, that was in the AFC Championship game. And they went on to win a Super Bowl. Yeah. So that's why I like that hit. That hit was wow. I mean, that hit was woo. I mean, I, I still can see that hit, man. <laughs> wow. That was a super shot there. Yeah. Absolutely. The only other hit that I remember that I wanted to put on here but didn't was the Lawrence Timmons hit on Derek Mason across the middle where there's that great picture where he's literally just throwing into the ground. It was a, a great clean hit by Law Dog. Uh, that was just a good poll. I wanted to get your opinion on that. It just it goes to show you some of the great history that these two teams have. Very physical, very hard-hitting. I know the NFL has taken a lot of that out of the game. That Ryan Clark hit, he probably would be suspended in today's NFL, and it wasn't that long ago. But uh, that's just the, the nature of the beast of the game right now. So um, with no further ado, Lance, go ahead climb up on your soapbox, talk to Steel Nation before we call the show. After watching the Steelers' performance against the New England Patriots, I came away thinking to myself, the three best teams in the AFC in the following order are the Patriots, the Broncos, and the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think if the Steelers get healthy, and of course I think they're going to win this game this weekend, that they are going to play the New England Patriots, depending on the seeding, in the playoffs in New England. Eerily like the year 2005 when the Steelers won their fifth championship when they went back to Indianapolis. I, something is just it, – it's telling me – just something's telling me they're going to see New England again, and when they see New England again for the second time, it's going to be different. I don't know if that's in the divisional round. Uh, I don't know if that's in the AFC championship. But they're going to see New England again. And when they see New England again, they're going to beat New England. Book it. (laughs) 
you know what, Lance? I felt the same exact thing. I was talking to some friends uh, that write for the website, and I said the Patriots aren't going to lose again until they play the Steelers in the AFC Championship game. And I think that's going to be the case. I think they're going to roll to the rest of their schedule. They're going to play the Steelers again with Roethlisberger, with Hayward, and they're going to get smacked down. I don't think it's going to be a blowout, but I think the Steelers are going to win. I agree with you 100%. Um, but the only thing I want to say here, and I'll use my platform widely, is that the next time we get on this show together, uh, we will have a new president. So I want to tell everyone yeah, that's listening, I wonder, I wonder. go out and vote. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Go, go out and vote. I don't care. I don't care who you vote for. Go out and vote. Don't complain. Don't be one of those people that sits at home and bitches and moans and didn't go out and cast their ballot. Go out, vote, make your voice heard, whoever it's for, and be sure to, to cast your ballot on November 8th. That's really, really important. And that will happen before we are on the air again. So, Lance, did you want to say something about that? You know, I wanted to echo that sentiment. In fact, listeners, I've already cast my ballot. My ballot. I do absentee. I do it absentee because in 2008, of course, being in the West Coast, Obama had already won, and I still had to sit in the line for about two and a half hours to cast my vote. So from that day <laughs> forth, I said I'd never do that again. So I've I been an absentee ballot. I've uh, done an absentee ballot for the last eight years since then. So, but to echo what Jeff said, man, get out there and exercise your vote. If you can vote, you should vote. Because if you don't vote, then you need to shut the, you need to shut the, you know what I'm saying. So get, get out there and I vote did. and, uh, you know, do your thing. Vote, let your voice be heard, and let the chips fall where they may. Absolutely. Well, we thank you for listening to The Standard is the Standard for Lance. I'm Jeff, BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. Check it out every day. Go Steelers on Sunday. We'll see you next time. Bye. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, Maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.